you know what's great about rematches? You know what's great about reruns? <laughs> we know how they end. We're gonna tell Max Rose that if he wants a job, he's gonna have to go back and work for Joe Biden. They said I'm naive to get into this fight. That what is broken in America just can't be fixed. Nicole had a chance to do something about that. She's given up on the center a long, long time ago. She gave up on each and every one of you. A congressional rematch in the making. A new North Shore state senator for the first time in nearly two decades. Those are among the biggest takeaways from Tuesday's primary elections, where all four Staten Island races were decided by convincing margins. Now, it's all eyes on November. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance public interest and advocacy reporters, Paul Liotta and Giovanni Alves, to discuss the ins and outs of our primary night coverage and what Tuesday's results mean for November's general election. Thank you both for joining me today. This is the first podcast that we are recording with two guests at the same time, so bear with us if we step on each other's toes a bit. Um, but because the elections are always such a group effort, we thought this would be kind of the perfect opportunity to give it a shot. So I hope you two don't mind kind of sharing the spotlight on this one. So as you both know, we try to give our listeners kind of an inside look at the reporting process. So first, I want to talk about just kind of what it's like to cover an election night, because you both know it can be a bit hectic at times. Obviously, the general election in November is much more intense, but even the primaries require a great deal of collaboration with reporters scattered about the borough at various candidate watch parties to try and get some immediate reactions to the results. So let's start with you, Paul. Walk me through a typical election night for you. What kind of things are you looking for when you show up at these events? Yeah, so I mean, it's a lot of planning. You know, we go back to the different candidates. We find out where they're going to be at, you know, what they're going to be doing. Both parties usually have their own, like, party in a given location. This year, Giovanni and I were with the Democrats at the Staten. Joe Dobb talked to some of the local elected officials, people within the party who are willing to talk to us and can kind of speak to what's going on behind the scenes within the party, you know, what we should be expecting. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. We do it twice a year, you know, one for primary, one for uh, the general election. This time it was, this year it's going to be three times because of the uh, redistricting stuff, but... Yeah, I mean, it's. I find it to be pretty straightforward. It's just, you know, show up, get the quotes you need, find out who wins, get those quotes from those people, and uh, get out. Yeah, and so Giovanni, as someone who is relatively new to election night coverage, I know you did also cover the general election this past November. I'm just curious, what are some things that have kind of stood out to you your first few times covering these types of events? Well, I actually started with the primary last year. So each one has been different. Last year... The ranked choice voting was new for everyone, and it was kind of a nightmare because, you know, we have the deadline at the end of the night, and we didn't have all the results at the end of the night. It was the better part of, I think, like a week before we knew some of some of the winners. The general election, I would say one thing is that it's closer to the end of the road, you know, with the campaign, with the primary. I think there's like this excitement of a lot more candidates, and then by the end of the night, if if they didn't make it, then they're talking about rallying behind the party and, and whoever, you know, is going to be representing in the general election. Last November was interesting because I covered the Democrats and only one of them actually uh, won. Yeah. So everyone else was giving those, we we put our all in speeches. And then you had uh, Camilla Hanks like, 
victory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there was the contrast there. But, um, yeah, each one, each one's a little different, I'd say. Yeah, and the, the vibes are definitely different depending on where you are and, and who's winning these races and all that thing. I remember uh, years ago, one of my first few election nights, I was tasked with covering the Republicans on the South Shore at their victory thing, and it was like a clean sweep for them. It was, you know, four or five people had won. Uh, they were very excited. They were introducing each other like it was like a WWE match. You had Ron Castorino <laughs> up there hyping it up. And then, as you say, sometimes there are parties where it's one person wins and everyone's like, I'm so happy for you, but yeah. you, know, you know it's kind of like they have the the happy mask on and underneath yeah. it. So, yeah, it's definitely different depending on where you are. But um, so let's get to some of the the coverage. Let's talk about so each election night, silive.com, we post a live blog on the site, which is updated as the night progresses. There's one reporter or editor who's usually stationed somewhere, and then everybody who's out in the field is feeding them new information as it comes through. So as the reporters who are typically on the scene here, you have to kind of provide as much content as possible throughout the night. Starting with Giovanni, what, what kind of things are you looking for at these events to include in the live blog? What stands out to you? What do you think is pertinent to put in there? Well, I will say towards the beginning of the parties, it's it's pretty dry. Mm -hmm. You know, you're pretty much waiting for the polls to close and then the candidates to come in and give their speeches. So leading up to that, it's pretty much what's the vibe of the space? Are people excited? Do they seem nervous? Do they seem confident? And then if there's any notable local officials or leaders or anyone that shows up, you kind of, you know, make a point of noting that. Yeah. And, and Paul, tell us a little bit about how you try to kind of balance <coughs> taking the time during these events to send over that live blog content while also making sure that you don't actually miss anything major that's going on. I know that that's something that is uh, it's difficult for me at times. It's like, okay, well, I have to send in this quote and this picture and listen to this video, but also they're moving on to the next thing. So I can't miss that. So uh, how do you kind of balance that while you're out in the field? For sure. Yeah. I mean, we usually have a like a text chain set up and somebody running a live blog who will sort of just pull from the text and add to said live blog. I mean, like Giovanni said, earlier in the night, there is a, like a lot of downtime. I mean, I think the party started at 7, polls didn't close till 9, I got there probably about 7.30. And I mean, it's, it was empty when I first got there, so you know, you sort of walk in, you find out where other press are set up. There was a team from uh, News 12 that was at the Staten. So you wait for some people to show up, you get the quotes, you feed the quotes in, get some photos of like the space, how everything looks. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You just sort of, you do it so much, you kind of get used to it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so obviously, you know, we've mentioned this already, but getting quotes from the candidates is is like a hugely important part of this, right? And so it's often very easy to get the quotes from candidates who won their race because you can pull from their victory speech and they're typically very happy to talk to us, right, about what, what comes next. But Paul, I'm curious, what have your experiences been kind of getting quotes from losing candidates? Because I know from my own recent experience that sometimes that's not always the easiest thing to do. For sure. I mean, uh so I'm usually, I don't know, this has just been sort of coincidence, but I'm usually with the winners. If you, if you guys want to win your election, make sure Paul is the yeah. one covering the, uh, the event. <laughs> so recruit him for all your election winning needs. I, I have found that I'm usually with the winners, but it's a lot of fun conversation, mm -hmm. which can be difficult because it's an awkward text to be like, hey, let me know when you have an announcement to make. Yeah. I, I know what that announcement's going to be, and so do you. So let's just... Uh, not, you know, pretend because it's over. It's awkward, but, you know, it's got to be done. And they have, they decided to put their hat in the arena and they have a right to sort of say, that, like, oh, I fought a good race and, you know, we wish it would have won A, B, and C. So 
it's awkward, but it's uh, I think it's important to hear from them for sure. It can make for an awkward conversation, uh, certainly, because these are people who are obviously uh, pretty upset in the moment. And uh, there are some people who it doesn't even make for a conversation because they don't answer you, which was the case on, on Tuesday when I was trying to call some of the, the losers for quotes. One more thing on quotes, so maybe Giovanni can take this one. You know, I've noticed with some of the victory speeches, you know, they get very long winded and they often move off track and they're throwing out political buzzwords and, and all of this kind of stuff. So I'm curious, how do you kind of decide which quotes to use in these articles and how much of them to include like what do, do we actually put in there and what do we kind of leave aside because obviously we can't block quote the entire 10 minute victory speech i'd say actually i feel like the meatier part of what they're saying tends to be towards the beginning and mm-hmm. then they kind of get into like a rallying cry of what the party's gonna do and kind of ramble a little bit sometimes they're like in tears by that point anyway so i pretty much go off of like what's the meat of like what they're saying in the beginning how they feel about how things went if they have any like major shout outs this week for example the press people for max rose were great they actually sent out a press release i think like while he was still speaking mm-hmm. so i pretty much checked pulled from like what they said and then a couple things I was like "Mm, I don't think we need to include this yeah that's what I found as well you get kind of like I'm so grateful and humble to have won this and like Mm -hmm. thank you to the people of Staten Island for continuing to support me early on it's like okay and then they keep going and they're talking about especially in the in these situations where it's just the primary election right like they're still campaigning right Mm -hmm. like it's a little different after the general because they've already you know won the seat so they don't necessarily have to push their platform as hard we've got this you know main quote here do we need to go into all of the different policy issues that they're they're platforming on or is this things that we can kind of save for the campaign trail as opposed to just the election night coverage so all right let's so let's move on so as journalists we're obviously no strangers to deadlines but as we've mentioned election night can be particularly tough because the polls don't close till 9 p.m and then our stories need to be submitted to print by 11 p.m just to make sure that it gets in the paper the next day so giovanni I guess first, what, what's it like kind of working under the gun, so to speak, and knowing that you only have a few short hours to get everything you need and put it all together? Uh, it can be very stressful, but this week I was proud of myself. I did most of the pre-writing. Mm-hmm. We pretty much knew how the turnout was going to be. We knew the results that just worked in our favor, I guess. So all I pretty much had to add was the quotes and statistics of the turnout. But there always is that little bit of angst in the back of your mind, like what if everything goes differently than we expect it to? Yeah. And now do I have to write a completely different story about, you know, the candidate that was the underdog and people said, Oh, they're you know, they're not gonna win and then they do and now what and of course you want to be prepared for that so yeah there's that but otherwise i mean you know you try to plan as much as you can be strategic one thing with us you know taking photos and then also writing i found that if i send the story after i'm done writing to the editor and then so like while they're dealing with that i'll finish up with the photos and then pop them in after being strategic with time yeah absolutely and i think what you said at the at the start about kind of prepping for this and making sure obviously we don't we don't predict the future we don't know exactly what's going to happen but in certain races there's an understanding of of who might win and so because we've been covering this stuff for weeks leading up to it so we know the candidates we know their policy you know ideas and and all of this kind of stuff so uh, it's almost like 
<laughs> kind of people pre-write uh, obituaries for really famous people, right? <laughs> um, yeah, a bit of a morbid uh, analogy, I suppose, but it's the same sort of thing where it's like you know that you're going to need this ready to go as soon as it happens. So as much of the background information that you have and you can kind of put to paper beforehand and then you can just kind of, like you said, fill in with some quotes, some color from the event and a couple of photos, that kind of stuff, it, it makes it a whole lot easier. And so kind of same question for you, Paul, given that you've been doing this for a number of years now, has, has meeting those deadlines gotten any easier or less stressful? Have they picked up any tips that kind of help you out along the way? Before I covered politics, I covered late night breaking news. So uh, I think my process is like a little bit different than Giovanni's. Like I kind of get very much in my own world and sort of uh, don't want to hear from the editors yeah. all the time. Um, Lone wolf. Yeah. And I, I'll do the photos first and then I'll like just go into the writing. But what Giovanni said about, you know, pre-writing, it's very important and, you know, it helps making sure that you have all those details. But yeah, I mean, when you're dealing with like shootings and explosions and fires, it's different than dealing with happier, sad candidates, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's a little uh, lower stakes, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Or at least different stakes. Yeah. We'll be right back. The Mayor of Maple Avenue is a powerful multi-part podcast about Sean Sinisey, a victim of former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky, who was arrested 10 years ago for numerous child sexual abuse charges. The podcast series is written and hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter Sarah Gannam, who takes listeners into the world of addiction rehabilitation, where society can be quick to celebrate the consequences for abusers while not addressing the needs of their victims. Subscribe now to The Mayor of Maple Avenue wherever you get your podcasts. I know for me, one of the most difficult parts of election night coverage is trying to, and we've also, you know, referenced this already, but juggle the whole getting the photos, getting the quotes, now also getting audio because we want to include them in podcasts like this. So having to do all those kinds of things at once, what what is that kind of like? And ha- is that overwhelming at points? And what do you do to kind of keep yourself focused? I record everything. Like if I'm interviewing you, assume that you're being recorded. Mm-hmm. One party consent state. Gotta love it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's... It's straightforward. You just kind of go up with your little phone. You know, you have the recording. It's the great thing about, you know, modern or one of the great things about modern technology is that you always have that, like, you know, thing to record on. And, I mean, it helps for accuracy purposes because I have learned uh, that politicians do not like to be misquoted. This is true. Yeah, yeah. When you uh, have it right, I think they're happier. It's easier for us. Um, You know, you take your notes. You jot down, like, you know, time codes for, like, stuff that you found interesting or that needs to be put into the story. But yeah, I mean, the audio stuff, I think it just helps our job when we have recordings, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we've covered a lot of kind of the process stuff. And, and, you know, I think that we should at least touch on the results of Tuesday's primaries now. So we had the North Shore Senate seat that we had discussed and the borough's congressional representative. So, Paul, can you walk us through kind of the state Senate situation? And then, Giovanni, you can take the race for Congress. So on the Democratic side, uh, Jessica Scarcella Spanton uh, beat her three opponents. Bianca Rosh Prasad, Sarah Blas, and Rajiv Gowda. On the Republican side, Joseph Tyrone beat Brooklyn candidate Sergey Fedorov. Fedorov had actually gotten the local party's endorsement, but they said that was because at the time no one else had been in the race. Because again, this is sort of that redistricting thing that we talked about. Because in theory, this primary was supposed to take place in June, but it got pushed back because of the chaos of the New York redistricting process this mm-hmm. go around. But yeah, that being said, I mean, the seat has been held by Senator Savino, who is sort of Scarcella Spanton's mentor um, very much. I mean, she's endorsed Scarcella Spanton. Uh, Savino has never faced, at least in the past decade, 
at, at least the past decade, uh, has not faced any like legitimate challenge from the right or mm-hmm. from her left. I think if you were a betting man, smart money would be on Scarcella Spanton. But the Democratic primary candidate I mentioned, Sarah Blush, she's staying in with the uh, on the working family party line. So that could throw a wrench in things. But I, I think smart money would be on Scarcella Spanton for sure. Yeah. And uh, Giovanni, can you uh, take the race for Congress and kind of what we saw happen there? Sure. Um, so with the Democrats, you had Max Rose, obviously, he came out on top. And then Brittany Ramos Taberos and Comey Agoda Kusema. I hope I said that properly. Better than I would have done. Yeah. Sure. You know, when you see the names, but you don't hear them out loud, it kind of, you just hope, hope for the best. And then on the Republican side, Nicole won up against John Matlin. One thing I'd say that was interesting on both sides, both Brittany and John don't have political backgrounds mm-hmm. as opposed to Max and Nicole, and they both pulled about like 20% of the votes compared to you know Nicole and Max, and come from like a very different side of of politics, kind of like the other side of the party. Right. So I, I mean, it was it was interesting on that end. I was I was surprised. John Matlin, for example, he was a medical oh. tech mm-hmm. turned activists, you know, during the pandemic and then decided to run for for Congress, which obviously is ambitious. You have no political background, decide to go federal. So, I mean, it was impressive. He didn't, you know, have much of a a large team. It was very like a grassroots movement. Brittany also had a a grassroots movement, probably more backing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess it turned out as as we expected, I would say. But, you know, for for someone who, who doesn't have a background and then you come you know, pull like a fifth of the votes. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was thinking as well, is that I, I think we all kind of assumed that it was going to be Max and Nicole in this rematch. But like you said, these are people who had no previous political background and uh, are kind of stepping into these races now. And 20% is not an insignificant number. Mm-hmm. That is, as you said, one out of five people voting for them. So I did think that was interesting. I wonder if, it's, if it is necessarily support for those people or if it's people who don't like the people they're voting against. It could be a little bit of both in some cases. But, you know, now that the results are in and the candidates have been selected, I'm curious kind of what do we think this means for the general election in November? So, Paul, what can we expect from this rematch between Max and Nicole? Expect a lot of TV ads. Yeah. Uh, one, yeah. Of, one of the people in Max's camp, he threw me like a little hint, I guess, would probably be the nicest way to throw it, that put it, that uh, Max has not spent any money yet and he has a war chest that is gigantic. Said I'm naive to get into this fight. That what is broken in America just can't be fixed. Well, plain and simple, I disagree, ladies and gentlemen. Nicole had a chance to do something about that. She's given up on the center a long, long time ago. She gave up on each and every one of you. And together we're going to prove to each and every one of those cynics and naysayers out there that when America is united, when Staten Island and Brooklyn is united, there is nothing that we can't do. The parties are going to be funneling money into this. In terms of outcomes, I mean, the Congresswoman won with 53%, about 53% of the vote. Do you know what's great about rematches? You know what's great about reruns? We know how they end. We're going to tell Max Rose that he's, if he wants a job, he's going to have to go back and work for Joe Biden. Now, mind you, that was in an election with uh, President Trump on the ballot. I think my gauge for that is always the uh, Assemblyman Cusick's race. I mean, he almost, I mean, it was very, very, very close to a person who is a virtual unknown. 
in Staten Island politics. I think the Trump bump was very, very real for Nicole, but the district as it stands now, I think the last I saw it was Trump plus 11. So it favors Republicans. And I mean, that was another thing when Max threw his hat in the ring initially, the district had gone up into Park Slope, his hometown, home neighborhood, however you want to put it. But it's since redistricted to more conservative parts of Brooklyn. So I think it's going to be close. Like I said, I think there are going to be a lot of TV ads that we are all going to get sick of yeah. again. <laughs> I'm um, already sick of them. I don't think he's going to say Eric Adams is the worst mayor in the history of the city of New York. He saved that for old Bill. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a long two and a half months for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so Giovanni, what should Staten Islanders look out for in some of the other races outside of Congress? I would say, you know, I think some people, if they're like very, I guess, devout in their beliefs or their support for their party, probably know where they stand already. But people that are moderate or independent that could go either way, I think should pay attention to the candidates. You know, anyone can talk about climate change or public safety and not necessarily have solutions or plans. So paying attention to who actually has plans that can be implemented if they were to take office, like how they're actually going to address these issues and not just rant about it. And then I'd also say that uh, there's ballot proposals that will be on the ballot for the general election. So to just pay attention for those. The Racial Justice Commission has proposals about changing the city charter and updating some things to try and tackle racial equity or inequity in the city. So, you know, watch out for that. Yeah, I'm sure we will have some coverage leading up on those proposals and what you need to know how those might impact you. So make sure to look into that as well, you know, in addition to the candidates. So thank you guys both so much for joining me today. I appreciate you coming on and I'm sure we'll be back here in November to discuss the general election. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit SILive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.